uh, in the lead up to the last halving, which happened in May of 2020, I did like a cash out refinance on the investment property I bought when I was 19, because uh, rates were record lows. You know, it seemed like a kind of win-win opportunity. Uh, use that money uh, from the equity wedge that I had kind of exploited in that first property to double my portfolio. And <laughs> so you took that money and and invested into crypto with it? Yeah, in the lead up to the halving, because <laughs> I thought we were about to go into another cycle. Did, it, did that work out for you? Yeah, so like, it's been great. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how transparent you're willing to be, but I mean, can you can you give us like an, like sure. an idea? Like, I mean, so like basically- I'd Are you a millionaire off crypto? Yeah, for sure. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast for you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I am your host, Colin Austin, and this podcast is possible because of the support from my friends, the GNV Commercial Advisors at Collier's Gainesville. Have you noticed those blue collier signs all over Gainesville? They are even out here in Alachua in front of San Falasco Tech City where we are recording today. Those are the signs of progress. The GNV Commercial Advisory Team of Collier's Gainesville is the region's top commercial real estate team. When you need to buy or sell commercial land or buildings, find a new space for your business, or lease out a property you you own, turn to the GNV Commercial Advisory Team. They close more than 60 deals a year. Shouldn't yours be one of them? The answer is heck yeah, y'all. <laughs> Check out all their services at colliers.com slash Gainesville. I also want to encourage you guys as we head toward the holiday season to donate to the Bread of the Mighty Food Bank. When you donate to the Bread of the Mighty Food Bank, you make an impact. Every donation provided, whether it's monetary or food products, helps Bread of the Mighty put food on the table for the families who need it most. Thank you to all the donors for their generosity. And for those interested in helping, please reach out. With your help and donations, we can all work to fight hunger in our community. You can donate today at www.breadofthemighty.org. And podcast fam, again, you can see that our set is a little different today because today we are out in San Falasco, Tech City for the Startup South event. This is where Florida's leading founders, investors, executives, and media have been gathering for an epic program of interviews, pitches, music, and great food. If you missed it this year, be sure to stay tuned for all of it by going to startupsouth.net so that way you know when it's happening next year because you're not gonna wanna miss it. It's been great. And uh, there's gonna be some pitches tonight. I'm excited to see that. And I've had already a bunch of awesome interviews and uh, it's been great. So let me introduce to you our guest for today. Today on the show, we are joined by Alex Copeland, a serial entrepreneur with over six years of experience investing in blockchain technology, focusing specifically on smart contracts and NFTs. He's a blockchain advisor for the social media startup Starstruck. He has five years of experience as a real estate investor and obtained a double bachelor's degree with honors in economics and philosophy. Alex, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Great, I'm excited to have you on, man. I'm excited to dive into this and unfold this and hear the life of Alex Copeland. Fair enough. Do you do you like the uh, do you like the term serial entrepreneur? I asked uh, my friend Eric Zika earlier when we were recording with him. Do you like the term serial entrepreneur? Not really. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm a, <laughs> I, I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I guess. Um, I feel like that term kind of gets a bad rep. Would serial investor be a? That's probably better. Yeah, <laughs> probably honestly, better. that's probably a much better term. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell me, just tell me a little bit about your story. Like, like where are you from? Like, sure. Um, so, I'm from New Orleans originally. Uh, grew up there. Uh, moved to Tampa uh, during high school. 
Um, and yeah, basically just got started with uh, startups in the social media marketing space initially. That's kind of how I, I ran into Collective & Co. We worked with them for a little bit on a startup called Bridge, which was essentially trying to aggregate influencer marketing into like a, a single platform kind of before that had become a big trend in marketing um, and kind of make a automated system for companies that were looking for influencer marketing, but they didn't really know exactly how to get into it. You know, they didn't want to just go and call on individuals and try to work out pricing structures just arbitrarily. And so we kind of automated all that into a system. We ran that for a while. And uh, yeah, uh, basically during that time, you know, that was about 2017. So it was like maybe 18 at the time. Um, Just got really invested into smart contracts, uh, all sorts of Web3 related industries and uh, we realized, I mean, in essence, from my side on the back end, from a tech side, you know, the, that the infrastructure for Web3 wasn't there at the time, but really that was a lot of the problems that we were facing could have been solved from just a smart contract blockchain perspective. Okay, really quick, because now you're throwing out terms that not all of our audience sure, is yeah, going to understand. So um, let, me, let me just back up a little bit. So what happened with Bridge? Yeah, so we ran Bridge for like three years, um, and then the team kind of just parted ways, um, and it's still you know doing whatever. But uh, we just kind of moved on to different things. Okay. But yeah. And so t- tell me, like, you know, smart contracts. Mm-hmm. When you say the term smart contracts, what do you mean? Sure. So basically, in the blockchain industry, there's different layers of what that tech kind of accomplishes. Obviously, Bitcoin is kind of the first iteration of blockchain tech, almost for its own sake. So you have a system where you just have a kind of blockchain in its most basic form, just a, a blockchain in essence is just a chain of blocks of transactional data that are linked together chronologically um, and are immutable, very difficult to like tamper with and distributed. And so that's like the essence of a blockchain. And then on top of that, you know, around 2014, 2015, you get um, things like Ethereum come out, which basically take that concept to a deeper level and enable through that same technology uh, concept of a smart contract, which you can think of essentially as, the way I typically describe it, it's almost like a trustless like escrow account. And so basically it's a way to eliminate trusted third parties, um, which the modern digital world has become increasingly dependent on. Um, and the reason that they become increasingly dependent on these trusted third parties is because as we move from the physical to the digital space, uh, with layer two internet, just the kind of traditional internet of social structures and communication networks, um, it's very difficult for any individual to have custody over data or assets or wealth. And so we solve the custody issue by uh, depending on the trust of some sort of objectively trusted third party. That's why, like, for example, like typically if you're holding money in a digital form, it's always, unless it's in some kind of blockchain capacity, it's gonna be held in some sort of third party like a bank or like a proxy for a bank or like your company's account. It's never gonna be held in the same way that you could physically hold cash. And so smart contracts and blockchain basically kind of open the floodgates for the ability to create a third layer, like Web3 on top of the existing internet with the ability to hold custody, transact anything that you wanna do with both data, wealth, any kind of tokenizable value, essentially. If that makes sense. <laughs> Where did you learn all this? 
Uh, just, you know, I've been like really interested in the space since I was like 17. Um, I'm like 23 now. So it's just kind of been a learn as you go kind of process, you know? Okay. So, you know, transitioning away from, from bridge and, and that startup getting in, getting into this, like where, where are things at now? You just became a, an avid investor into the things happening with blockchain. Like, yeah, well I just like, so basically since I was in high school, I, I wanted to, I wanted to like my goal for entrepreneurship and investing and all of that was I wanted to make enough money as quickly as possible, essentially to where I could focus on education at like a higher level. Like I wanted to be able to go and like learn things for the sake of learning them without having to kind of worry about economic like strife and stuff like that. And mm. so my thesis for that in high school was just to try to identify, uh, like the only way you can make money investing is by identifying inefficiencies in pricing. And the main way that that happens is just by identifying like asymmetries in information, I thought. And so it seemed to me that the the category where that was most like prevalent was probably disruptive technology because typically has a high barrier of entry from a knowledge standpoint. Very few people know about the general back end of that kind of stuff. Um, and it's incredibly disruptive in a practical sense. And there's usually a decent lag for people kind of coming to terms with something that's truly innovative. And so it gives you an opportunity for exploiting asymmetry. And so I got into all sorts of like disruptive tech things when I was just investing with money that was coming in. Uh, things like, you know, um, CRISPR, like genome editing, things like, you know, EV markets, just uh, different like renewables um, and blockchain. And I just kind of got the more I learned about blockchain, basically the more attention that just kind of took up because it just became like a black hole that just kind of sucked all my attention <laughs> into it because it just seemed so um, objectively like transformative that it was hard to focus on anything else. And so yeah, instead of like checking accounts in high school, I would just use like Bitcoin and blockchain and like Ethereum wallets. And you know, I would just like put money in whenever I could. And you know, over like maybe like the last two years, I've been able to kind of grow like relatively small, like five figure portfolio into like well into like the seven figures. And now I'm wow. basically trying to incorporate that as like an investment vehicle. Um, okay. So can you, can you break this out for me a little bit? Cause sure. all right. So you're 17 years old. Where's, where's the original, where'd your money come from? Yeah. So just, from I mean, like, was it, was it bridge and then you were invest cause you were investing into like crypto and mm -hmm. some of these things earlier than yeah, so like, so Bridge was like probably my like third uh, startup that I'd worked on. Really? I'd, okay. I'd done sort of like all sorts of different side jobs probably like since I was like 14, 15. And yeah, just like essentially any money that I would have come in from any kind of avenue was just going into blockchain. I went through real estate licensing right out of high school, uh, bought my first investment property as like an equity wedge flip essentially when I was 19. Um, I, uh, is this a part of your life where you're just like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, I'm just exploring, I'm exploring my interests. So yeah, you're not, not sure what you're going to do with the rest of your life type of thing or well, like, I like, mean, <laughs> my, I like, so my initial intention was I wanted to go to do a master's degree in philosophy. Cause like I've been obsessed with, uh, formal philosophy since I was like 11 years old. And so I wanted to make like enough money to be able to justify something like that, which is going to have no monetary incentive. Um, and so that was kind of the goal for like being super focused on those kinds of things. And I was just looking for any avenue where I could exploit opportunity in the short term, basically. Okay. And, and so and so you did that. <laughs> I mean, you were an early crypto investor. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think I started buying Bitcoin around like 900 or so. Um, Ethereum around like How long had like 90. Bitcoin been a thing by the time you started buying it? Uh, Bitcoin got launched in 2009. Um, about like an initial price point of like 10 cents or so. Um, <laughs> but like the only person mining the network um, for the first year was pretty much Satoshi Nakamoto, like the anonymous founder. Um, Bitcoin has gone through... It goes through cyclical, um, like four-year trend cycles, which are catalyzed typically by just the way its price action has been coded. Like every four years, Bitcoin's supply, uh, its reward supply for mining gets cut in half every like 210,000 blocks on the chain. And so you can pretty much front run the euphoric market cycles by understanding when those having events are coming on and then realizing that there's typically about a three-year period or a three-month period where um, just from basic supply and demand standpoint, uh, liquid supply on exchanges is getting dried up because incoming supply is getting cut in half. And then that typically creates a positive feedback loop for, for price. And so Bitcoin went through its first sort of market cycle in 2013. After the halving, went into its second one in 2016-17. After the second halving- and So during this time, are you just buying it up? Yeah, well, I'm just trading the macro cycles basically. So like, you're buying when, um, and there's a lot of like, the cool thing about blockchain is all of the data is transparent because you can go on chain and you can look at basically any aspect of that monetary system that you might need to know from an investment standpoint. You can see the amount of liquidity coming in, you can see the amount of long-term holding that's moving, you can see where the money's moving. And so it's really easy to front run uh, on long time scales. Uh, by just buying when you're undervalued within some sort of like bear market uh, in the lead up to a halving event and then just selling the tops when you're in kind of euphoric periods. And that, that's kind of just been the strategy, <laughs> essentially. Um, I'm, I'm mind blown. Uh, so, cause I'm just like, you know, like I look at my, you know, my entrepreneurial career, I'm just, you know, I'm a guy who had a scooter shop, you know, I saw an opportunity, I saw an opportunity yeah. to, to help college students get to it from class and started a scooter shop. And, That's still and then a great like, I, hear all the, I hear all this stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, like, why can't, like, why can't I have that kind of mind? <laughs> no. So, all right. So, I mean, how much, I mean, at a $900 price point, mm -hmm. how much Bitcoin did you buy? Did you have a lot of it? Uh, yeah, like, a decent amount, I would say. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of got uh, screwed a little bit in the first major cycle top that I was in. Uh, I kind of Which was when? Like, how much was it? 2017. So how much like, was it when that happened? Uh, Bitcoin topped out at 20,000, about 20,000 in 2017. So that was the last four-year cycle. We're in the middle of one, like, right now. Um, and so it's, like, really exciting time for, for blockchain, especially just the amount of crazy innovation development that's going on in Web3 on top of these smart contracts. But um, yeah, essentially basically rode that up, kind of rode that back down because I basically missed a lot of the on-chain data. I was pretty new to it at the time. Um, and then just kept you know, passively investing through the bear market uh, into 2018, 2019. Uh, in the lead up to the last halving, which happened in May of 2020, I did like a cash out refinance on the investment property I bought when I was 19 because uh, rates were record lows. You know, It seemed like a kind of win-win opportunity. Uh, use that money uh, from the equity wedge that I had kind of exploited in that first property to double my portfolio. And <laughs> so you took that money and 
and invested into crypto with it? Yeah, in the lead up to the halving, because <laughs> I thought we were about to go into another cycle. Did, it, did that work out for you? Yeah, so like, it's been great. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how transparent you're willing to be, but I mean, can you can you give us like an, like sure. an idea? Like, I mean, so like basically- I'd, Are you a millionaire off crypto? Yeah, for sure. So like, um, essentially like, so like a good example is like basically in March of 2020, uh, that was when I basically did this refinance. My total crypto portfolio was about eighty. That was a year ago. I mean, yeah, a little over a year ago. Yeah, so like my total crypto portfolio was about eighty thousand at that time. Now it's like a little over. Uh, it's like around two million right now, I think. And so like, um, you know, it's like thirteen months or so, just kind of like being able to outpace uh, the crypto market by focusing in on like niche innovations going on in that space, like decentralized finance and NFTs and all of that kind of stuff. Is it hard when, <coughs> excuse me, when you see everything that's that's happening, you know, cause like what Bitcoin's at kind of an all time high right now, right? 60s. Yeah, it just broke all time highs yesterday. Uh, got up to like 67 grand. And for everybody who's listening, it's, uh, we're recording this on October 21st, so, mm. okay. Um, Cause who knows, by the time this goes out, maybe True. it's back down here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so, I, is it hard not to like grab everything and go throw it into crypto? Yeah, much. Um, <laughs> I mean, are you are you one of these guys that's like, okay, let me be smart about it. Let, let me definitely diversify my portfolio or yeah, well, let, let me go all in on yeah, cryptocurrency. <laughs> now, the way I like focus on it now is basically I, I dollar cost in when like the on-chain metrics that I use are under like showing undervalued and then I dollar cost out once we start going overvalued. And so from that perspective, you can kind of um, you can average your entry price in like a, in good terms during bear markets, and then you just start scaling out your position size, diversifying into things like real estate, equities, whatever, um, when you're getting closer and closer to the market cycle top, which is usually pretty obvious, but it's impossible to call it exactly. And so you just kind of scale out periodically. Just because there's been some conversation happening around this as of late, you know, what are your thoughts about like government involvement in mm -hmm. the crypto space? Yeah, I mean, I think regulation is like inevitable and I think it's a good thing objectively. Um, Gary Gensler has like a deep background in, um, in blockchain. He used to teach blockchain at university and, uh, you know, so if anybody's gonna be regulating it from an SEC perspective, it makes sense that it would be somebody like him. Um, I think the US has done all right with it. I think Congress is like really behind the times in most innovation. Um, just, I mean, if you just track the average age of Congress, it's just increasing at a rate that's like not sustainable for the exponential growth curve of technology that we're in right now. There's no way they're gonna understand a lot of what's going on um, in a way that's accurate enough to regulate it efficiently without essentially like uh, suffocating uh, innovation. Um, but I think they've done an all right job with it so far, you know? Okay. I don't think anything's been too bad. So, do you live like a pretty like humble life, or are you kind of like you know cashing out crypto and <laughs> buying a Ferrari or anything? No, it's not like, like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> how, how does this? How, you know, how does this impact? Because how old are you now? Twenty-three. Twenty-three. So I mean, uh, you know, that's you've done done really well for yourself. Congratulations! It's amazing. Thank you. Uh, I mean, but you know. 
when I was in college, I was like, oh, by the time I'm 30, like I'm total, I'm gonna have a Porsche, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it's funny, because like obviously as life goes on, I was like, oh dude, I ain't, I ain't buying any of that crap. I'm keeping my Honda Civic because it's, <laughs> it's paid off, you know? <laughs> so I mean, yeah. my, my perspective has definitely changed as I've grown and gotten wiser. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm 39 years old, so I'm, I'm still driving a Civic, so. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, you know, so, but I'm just kind of curious, like how, you know, are you just like, no, let me just, keep investing, keep investing, or I, I do, do you pull out and you know buy more? Like, have you bought more real estate? Like, what have like what have you done at this point? Yeah, I just bought I just bought a house not too long ago, um, which was kind of my first big um, pull from like profit uh, this cycle. But I mean, I try not to buy anything um, extreme that I can't justify as like an investment, essentially. So like, if there's overlap and something that's like pretty cool and like fun but like it's also like I can justify it as an investment then like that's one thing but no I haven't like pulled out to buy anything that's like a waste <laughs> just of money, a waste basically yeah you're not, you're not gonna waste it right uh-huh. yeah no nothing like that I'm trying to basically like build up enough liquidity essentially to incorporate it into an investment vehicle um that's basically been my plan since I was like 18 or so um to try to be able to do a capital raise for like a small scale hedge fund by the time I was like 29 or so um, and stuff has just moved faster than, than we expected. Kind of the, the like small scale team I put together uh, to, to try to build out that plan over a 10 year period. Um, and so right now we're, we're working on essentially just trying to, or like I'm working on essentially trying to generate enough liquidity in there to where I can bring on things like analysts, bring on things like developers, um, and just kind of have an entire crypto operation sort of in-house uh, on the front end and the back end, essentially. Cool, <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, talk to me a little bit about NFTs and like, you know, this is, I mean, at least for me, it's it's, it's fairly new in terms mm-hmm. of a term I, I've heard. I don't know how long has the term NFT, I feel like maybe it went kind of mainstream in the last year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, can you first explain what it is for our audience that might mm-hmm. not know and then tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah, so like an NFT is just a non-fungible token. So fungibility essentially means like, um, like you can think of it as something that is, so for example, if you have like a bunch of $1 bills or something, they're all worth the same amount of money. Each individual one has no unique property in theory. Um, so they're all fungible. If you have something that's non-fungible, um, each individual aspect of that is unique and can be um, proved as like a unique thing. And so NFTs are following, NFTs are kind of a, um, a logical step for uh, the build out of the tech of smart contracts, just the way they operate, especially just like something like Ethereum. And so basically they started as just like collectibles because that's kind of the easiest use case of an NFT. You just make, you can think of it almost as like um, like baseball cards or something. It's like kind of the same idea, just on a digital space. Right. But now they're moving. The thing that I remember within I don't know, the last couple of years, like NBA Top Shot, yeah. it was like a, a huge thing. And people are like, I don't understand why you would buy a video clip. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a lot yeah. of people that are just like, I don't understand why you yeah. buy a video clip. So why would you why would you buy a video clip of a NBA star yeah, you know, shooting totally a basketball? Fair. Um, well, I mean, when you're dealing with just like collectibles like that, you would buy it almost entirely on speculation uh, of like future price increase because of like the scarcity or whatever. Um, but these are the really early days of NFTs. They're going to go into much more practical use cases, in my opinion, pretty soon. So like when you when you walk through that train of thought about what you can do with digital non-fungibility, 
um, it really opens up a lot of doors. So, for example, like the way I think NFTs will probably go, uh, kind of from like logical progression, would be collectibles initially, and then where we're at right now, which is essentially like the fine art market. So, um, and the, the the value push there is essentially you have and you have an entire you know sixty seven billion dollar volume uh, like uh, fine art market annually. It's this this massive operation. Um, and like digital uh, or like artists, any anybody that's trying to make money in media, they have a real big issue with like just copyright aspects and stuff like that. It's very difficult to keep your art in any really form from being um, from from finding its like fair value price in terms of like the profit that you're generating off of it. Whether that's like actual art, whether it's music, you know, media, whatever. And so NFTs kind of solve that problem. Um, they are proof of ownership, essentially, for any aspect uh, in the digital space. And the fine art market is moving in pretty pretty quickly with thing with like auction houses like Sotheby's and Crispies or uh, Christie's. They're already auctioning off NFTs um, on a pretty consistent pace. And so I think this is kind of the second stage. Basically, fine art market moves in. There's a really big value push for the artists because the supply chain is entirely traceable. And so essentially you can code in uh, royalty payouts. So for example, let's say you have an artist right now who's like young and is trying to get started. And in order for all of his art to not get scammed, he has to put all of his trust into some sort of third party auction house or gallery. They buy up all of his art at like a really cheap price point. They set the price essentially for their um, sale. And then maybe he goes on to become a famous artist that art trades hands a ton of times between like A and B, and maybe one day it's worth like a ton of money. He's only ever getting that first initial uh, profit from the gallery house kind of ripping him off in the first place. Right. With NFTs, it's totally different. You can code in maybe like a two and a half to 5% royalty is pretty standard. And every time that like NFT trades hands, the initial artist is getting two and a half to 5% of that sale price essentially. And so it, it enables a way for artists in every aspect of art to keep closer ties and um, and make more of a living off of their art without having to rely on these third-party intermediaries. Um, this is going to be the time where the artist actually gets to win. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what it opens the door for. And then, like, I think where we go from You're not going to hear the term starving artist anymore? Right. Hopefully not. Um, but, and then I think where we go from here gets even more interesting because I think when you think about it, the fine art um, aspect is really just, like, a build-off on the collectibles aspect. But... Really, I think the, the the main value push for NFTs in the practical world are much more traceable supply chains, tokenizing real world assets. So it's much easier to actually like buy and sell and trade real world assets with other people. Um, it's as easy as doing it online. Um, companies can track every aspect of their supply chain. They don't have to come into any aspect of like not knowing where something's going for a delay. Um, you could tokenize real estate that becomes that makes it much easier to prove land titles which is like a bigger issue in the developing world um, and then eventually I think we'll get to the point where we start tokenizing things as abstract as as energy on like energy infrastructure grids and you know that'll enable like even like a single home to almost act as its own um, service provider and get monetary incentives for green energy use because they'll have a certain amount of surplus tokenized energy that they could sell on the open market, um, stuff like that. So like, I think the next five to 10 years for 
smart contract NFTs are going to be really interesting. I think we're in the really early stages right now. For a guy like me, who, you know, I'm married, I got two kids, eight, you know, eight and 12. I've got a full-time retail business. I got a side hustle podcast. I got, I got all this stuff going on. I'm super interested in all this stuff, but mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't have the time yeah. to go and like learn it. And I mean, where for the average person to go and, you know, I don't want to, I just insulted myself. I just called myself average. <laughs> uh, you know, for, for the for the regular everyday American, <laughs> not American, whatever, uh, who wants to, you know, maybe incorporate like NFT into, you know, an NFT into their life or maybe buy some of these, you mm-hmm. know, di- pieces of art and, and be, be a part of this. Like where, like, where would you say for them to go? I mean, yeah. I mean, would I, would I just be getting myself into trouble by doing it if I'm not willing to spend all the time to learn it or is there? Yeah, sure. Do you understand well, what I'm asking? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think with where we're at right now, so the NFT market as an asset class, it's not entirely new. I mean, you could go back and make claims that is, NFTs have been minted on Ethereum since like 2017 maybe, but it didn't blow up as an asset class until really the last like six to nine months. Um, and that's just because the UI like has become much easier. Platforms popped up on Ethereum that make it really easy to, to trade and all this kind of stuff. But honestly, like when you're trying to get into it with where that market is at right now, there is kind of a technical barrier to entry, I would say, um, because you can only do you can only trade this stuff on Web three, and so like accessing Web three, I don't think is a, as big enough. I don't think it's as big of a barrier to entry as most people think from the outside because this stuff seems like really complicated, and in reality, it's really not. You, it just takes a, a small learning curve to kind of get the idea of what's going on and get the the use case of how it works. But um, yeah, you would essentially have to, you know, use some sort of multi-sig Web3 wallet like like MetaMask, which just turns your browser into a Web3 browser. And then you can, that opens up the door for any kind of decentralized application or decentralized autonomous organization that is built on top of Ethereum's uh, smart contract foundation. The good news is that Coinbase just announced um, like two weeks ago that they're launching uh, an integrated NFT marketplace into their platform. That'll probably come out maybe December, January. That'll really open the floodgates, I think, for retail without having to worry about any of the tech side. And so I think that would be the easy entry uh, if, if the tech is kind of like, you know, scary or something like that at first. Super interesting stuff, man. Um, what's been, like, I guess, what's been your biggest hiccup along the way? Um, like, what's the biggest mistake? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you know, uh, in the startup space, we definitely had a ton of a ton of issues. Uh, it's kind of why I moved deeper into investing than than startup, you know, culture. Um, it's always tough to like kind of juggle team dynamics and stuff like that, especially if like some success starts to come in. So those were those were issues like early on, and then you know like I've definitely made a ton of trading mistakes and like you know mistakes along the way in terms of trying to grow this portfolio. So there's been a lot of issues with that kind of missing the top for the 2017 run. That was a big issue. That took a decent amount to, to build back up from, but. Did you dwell on it for a while? Is it hard not to like? Yeah, probably, you know, you're like, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I feel like when that stuff happens, you know, or you miss out or whatever mm. the case is, 
it's, yeah. e- it's easy to like sit there and dwell on it or are you, are you pretty good about just moving all right all right like that was a mistake i just got to like move on like let's go like yeah. i mean get, get I, out of my own head <laughs> like what where are I, you at with that kind of stuff i think like at first it was definitely a lot harder so you know obviously a space as volatile and like innovative as uh, blockchain it just moves so quick and it has so many sub niches that um you know it's impossible to keep up with everything and you always feel like you're missing out on something and so like at first that was definitely a much more difficult thing to kind of deal with now i'm kind of like desensitized to it um more so for sure but yeah it was an issue at first, any, for sure. any tips on how to become desensitized i think it's probably it? just like time in the space honestly it's just, it's just experience well, it's like if you if you're big if you have a big background in like equities or something, for example, um, trading like st- just stocks and managing stock portfolios, moving into a space like crypto, it it almost seems like time is moving like six times faster essentially. So, the cycles are you know faster by like an order of magnitude. Um, the volatility within the space is significantly higher, and so like it's it's there's a big kind of sensitivity to that increase in volatility at first. And then you just have to kind of get desensitized to it as you get used to the fact that that's just kind of how that market works basically, because it's smaller. I have to ask, because you got dual, dual bachelor's degrees, mm-hmm. right? In economics and philosophy. Uh, where'd you go to school at? Uh, went to the University of Tampa, because I was working in Tampa at the time. So I just kind of wanted to stay close to all the stuff I had going on there. Okay. Would you say that your college education, uh, you know, was very beneficial to to your life now? And yeah, I mean, I don't think it was like super necessarily relevant for what I do for work right now, but um, it was stuff that I was like really passionate about, and I really like. I just like to learn for like the sake of learning. So like, I I definitely enjoyed it. You know, it was. I, w- I don't regret it or anything like that. I think okay. it was great. I like to ask just simply from the standpoint of, you know, yeah. so, so many people are like, ah, you know, a lot of people on the, trying to make that decision whether or not they should go to college or something. Yeah, no, I'm like always doing like online, like schooling in some capacity. Like I'm going through like a online degree in my free time right now for like Solidity programming, which is like kind of the native coding language for Ethereum. I'm doing like a um, open course class on like CRISPR, like biotechnology, stuff like that. Um, I'd love to like have the time to go do a master's. So it's like, I just, I <laughs> love a passion for learning. Yeah. That's awesome. sure. And so, yeah, I definitely wouldn't regret college or anything like that. Very cool. I have a passion for learning too, but I would never go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. I mean, you don't oh really, God, they are like, totally that was cool. you don't really need to anymore. All the, all the resources that you need are online. Yeah. Are there any like particular resources or places that you like to go for information? Yeah, I mean, like, I do a ton of classes through, like, um, like Udemy has, like, a ton of really good tech-related uh, open, like, open courses. Um, MIT Open Course has basically all of MIT's curriculum just open source. So, like, I'll do a ton of stuff uh, through them. Um, edX, I mean, there's so many platforms online that are just digitizing, like, the best university's curriculum and putting it out there for free. And so, you know, if there's anything that you want to learn, there's definitely the best possible resources out there to just do it with no cost. It's kind of crazy. How do you divide up your time? Like, because you seem like somebody who, you know, knowing that you're passionate for, you know, Mm -hmm. knowing that you are passionate about education and continuously educating yourself, you know, 
do you, how many hours a day are you spending doing that? Yeah, I mean, like, I've been working probably, like, 14 to, like, 16 hours a day for, like, the past, like, probably, like, four to five months just because crypto is in, like, a really important phase right now. Um, and so keeping track of everything is, it just takes, like, tons of time. You know, like, every four years, like, more or less, crypto goes through these cycles, and they're, they're just the greatest money-making opportunities, really, in human history. And so when it comes along, it's like the Olympics are just like fucking like, or you're just, sorry, you're just like going for it at a really like high level and kind of dedicating all your attention to it. And so, yeah. Um, That's the phase you're in right now. Yeah, basically. You're in the Olympics. <laughs> it's you're just like, like it's such all a in, rare all focus, so much trading involved. Yeah, exactly. So just like trading and like market research and then like all the like, the things that I do on the side, just like kind of dividing that up through the day as well. But yeah, it's it's been pretty consistent, like 14, 16 hours for a while now. And it'll probably be like that until like February or March, so. Wow, cool. With, uh, you know, so what brings you here? I mean, with Startup South being out here mm-hmm. in Collective and Code Space, you know, we're in San Francisco, Tech City. There's a, this pitching, you know, <laughs> so like I said, bitching, <laughs> this pitching event tonight, yeah. uh, you know, are, are you here looking at like, well, like, yeah, just like, why, why are you here? What are you involved with? So Quan like invited me down here, um, to like speak on a panel. I think I don't even really have all the details. Honestly. <laughs> um, but, I love that. Right. Like, yeah. Quan, Quan gets you out here like, dude, just come, just come. We'll get you on a panel. Yeah. Um, and share so, your knowledge with the world. Yeah. He basically just said like for like uh, blockchain related stuff, but I, I just took a role, um, as a blockchain advisor for a startup that, I think it's based out of Collective & Co also, um, called Starstruck. And so I think I'm down here partially as a representative of that and then also for whatever this panel situation is that cool. it's talking about. Well, whatever it is, <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate you contributing and uh, coming, coming to Gainesville from Tampa for, for the evening. And are you here tomorrow too? Or I think so, yeah. Okay. Cool, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun. It's been super interesting just, just hearing all of the things. and. Uh, you know, congratulations on the success this far. And uh, I look forward to seeing, you know, how things turn out in the, in the near future for sure. Absolutely. Well, Hey, thanks Um, for having me. Yeah. Where can our, you know, where can our audience connect with you or, I mean, are you on social media? Do you share any of this stuff elsewhere or are you? Um, yeah, a little bit, not so much. I'm going to have an Instagram, but, uh, I'm really not super huge, not super big on social media right now. I probably need to dig deeper into that, honestly, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you would need to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No worries. Cool, man. Um, well, again, thanks so much for being here. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you so much to the team that uh, makes this show happen. You guys, there's so much work that goes involved. I mean, we had to get the entire crew ready to get out here to Collective & Co. space. We brought all the equipment. James brought the cameras and the lighting and all of the stuff. So, you know, thanks, James, for everything that you do, man. Appreciate you. And uh, Sarah Lynn, Sarah finally got here. She had class in the middle of the day for some of our other episodes that we recorded, but she is here and she's always keeping us on our toes and doing on social media and, and definitely helping me manage the intern team. So thank you so much for all of your hard work. And thank you to our intern team, Trinity, Gianna, and Noah. You guys are awesome. Thanks for all that you do. Podcast fam, remember that you can find all the links to the incredible sponsors that make this show possible. I absolutely cannot do this without them. Um, please support them. Go to whoagnv.com slash sponsors to get to 
to get connected to all of them. Uh, of course, you can find their information in the show notes of the episode. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, we're in somewhere in the 170-ish episodes. I mean, I cannot believe that we've done this many episodes. It's continued to do so well. I'm so grateful for you guys. A lot of evolution in the podcast over the last three years, and I'm just really excited for where things uh, are headed as we head towards 2022. Uh, approaching the holiday seasons, too, so just definitely want to say happy holidays to everybody as we get closer and closer and closer to the holidays. Enjoy that time with your families and Again, remember to support a lot of the nonprofits in our area that need it, just like the bread of the Mighty Food Bank, so please support them. And uh, you guys, you've been listening to the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Whoa. (laughs) He's like, whoa. He got it. He got the cue. He got it, you guys. Whoa. We'll see you later, guys. Bye.